taken over this podcast you must charge me with mutiny and take me to red shark's court immediately dun dun you can't handle the truth unless it's broadcast right to you how are you doing emily i'm great i am <clears throat> i am great i just had such a wonderful time in space court these past two weeks actually because i'm watching strange new worlds uh, which is the current series currently occurring airing, which is set in this time period where Mr. Spock was serving under Captain Pike. And they recently had a Space Court episode. And it was just really fun watching uh, all of the things. And it's just like, hey, friends, what do you think is the stupidest here? Yes, those are all things from the original series Aha. that they have to leave in because this happens after that. Aha. I was very curious, and I'm so glad that you know. I was wondering if Strange New Worlds would cover this or if this is an eventuality. So the fact that there's already some setup leading oh, yeah. to this, uh, that's very exciting. We'll have to get into that uh, during the episode. Yes, I'm so, so excited. Missy, welcome, because we are going to be talking about the episode that I continually call The Glass Menagerie. That's <laughs> the Menagerie. The Menagerie Part 1. Uh, and the reason why I know the word menagerie. I learned it at a young age. It means a zoo. Yes. I, I knew what a glass menagerie was in terms of the glass menagerie. But I'm going to admit, for the longest time, I thought it was like the menagerie meant a figurine because I knew that they were glass figurines. Then I saw a TV show that explained that a menagerie was the collection of animals. And I was like, Oh, interesting. But I liked mm. the word menagerie and I knew it also could mean like a collective of things. Mm -hmm. So I just also thought it like doubled as the name of a figurine as a pun. I don't know why I came to that conclusion, but that's just sometimes what happens. So yeah, I, I'm is. very excited. And I predicted last week this might have something to do with a zoo collecting of animals. Mm -hmm. Has not happened yet, but we did see one person. We're not going to spoil who yet. Mm. One person did get captured during this. So Dun, dun, dun. That's right. This is The Menagerie, written by Gene Roddenberry, though there's some fun, exciting story about how it got written by Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> Uh -huh, totally just uh -huh. written by Gene Rod like Gene Roddenberry's the one who wrote it. Gene of Roddenberry course. wrote this. Of course. Missy, why are you acting like maybe Gene Roddenberry didn't just write all of this himself and it was all his idea? Missy. It's all about Gene. It's all Gene. It's all Gene. 
Uh, it was directed by Mark Daniels and Robert Butler. Mark Daniels uh, did all of the, he's the only one credited for this episode. And he directed all of the parts that aren't from the original Cage. Um, whereas Robert Butler was the one who directed everything from the Cage. He was invited back to, to do this part of the episode. Um, but he didn't like Star Trek. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's like, I like I like Twilight Zone a lot better because, like, it's fun little speculative yarns. Well, first he was like, the cinematography's better because they shoot it dark. He likes the black and white, and he likes the gritty stuff. Interesting. Um, which I think was, it was really, like, his personal, like, affection for it. Um, what a said, little goth guy. Yeah, he's like, Star Trek too square-jawed, too heroic for me. Um, but... Those Twilight Zone episodes, they got real good yarns. Uh, And I'm like, oh, you just fucking love Twilight Zone. And you know what, friend? So do I. Uh, (laughs) um, I liked it when the space episodes looked cheap. Yeah. Our special guest stars are uh, Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike and Susan Oliver as Vina, um, who I wrote at Mina later on. So correct me (laughs) there. I was like, that's weird that they gave her the same name as the chick from Dracula. Um, (laughs) And another star, which we'll come to. So why? So let's start with why are we doing this? What is the menagerie? What is the cage? Why is it all these things? The menagerie is a two part episode in which uh, they wrote an envelope or sort of a setting story around which they could show the entirety of the first pilot that they ever shot. The Cage, which was completed about a year before they went back and shot the second pilot where no man has gone before with Captain Kirk and, you know, the crew as we know them. Uh, So why did they say, let's write an envelope script in which we can show off the entire first episode? Well, Gene Roddenberry was very, very proud of The Cage and he wanted everyone to see it. And Robert Justman was like, wow, that's a lot of money we're not spending. Um, And boy, was that an expensive goddamn episode that we're now getting (laughs) to finally actually use. Yeah. It was unprecedented. Like, to send when they sent to NBC, they're like, we want to do this. It had never been done before. Um, Uh, Okay. To clarify, this is the first time a pilot had ever aired. This was the first time that they had ever used footage from a completed pilot that hadn't aired Interesting. in a new episode. And so, of course, that's like the question of like, well, who gets paid for this? Who yeah. gets what credits? Whatnot. So they the deal was that they could do it, but NBC would only pay for one episode. But... So so technically, Desilu would be losing the amount of money they'd be paid for the extra episode. But if they could make two episodes for the price of one, then they'd be saving all of the money from the episode that they did not produce. So they're like, all right, this is our like handoff. Like, you know, how much money are we making versus not making? Um, you know, what? Do, how do we get the rights to use this? They ended up paying off most of the actors from the original one to be like, thank you for letting us use your likeness once again, like Mm -hmm. in this aired version. Uh, Except for Leonard Nimoy, who was like, pay me double, like pay me for my, just the same as you paid the other people from that original filming. 
to be used in this episode and pay me for this episode because I'm in this fucking episode. And Desilu was like, no, uh, which was bullshit. I think they're like, you already got paid. And it's like, well, everyone else is getting paid double. Fuck you. Um, well, I will say in essence, he's paid for both episodes, correct? He is. Yes, he is paid for both episodes. His issue is that they're originally going to be 15 new episodes. Okay. But now there are only 14 new episodes. Okay. So he felt that he was essentially getting cheated out of the pay for the 15th episode, which like he kind of was. It it depends on how you look at it. And it's just sort of indicative of the problem that has always existed within the film industry. Got it. Not paying people. So I, I so for clarity, so he was paid uh-huh. for one episode's day of work because they were considering the yes. footage that they shot in between the sets as one episode and yes. all the footage they took from the cage as that episode. Okay, yes. got it. So he was, yes. yes. Cause, it, Cause I'm like, well, if there's two different episodes airing, isn't he paid mm-hmm. twice for the two episodes anyways? But confirming that yes. no, that's that is because it was split, that's what happened. Thank you. Got yeah. it. So um, NBC agreed to this situation as long as 50% of what is seen in the two-parter was new stuff. Um, and that's why we get this whole big envelope. We see mostly that in this first episode. Um, originally, like literally almost like three days after it premiered, uh, the new version premiered, you know, for Desi Liu, they did that big screening of Where No Man Has Gone Before, was when... Roddenberry got it approved and assigned it to John D.F. Black, who was the story editor for all the episodes we've seen literally up until this point. Okay. Um, and that was supposed to be a second assignment after rewriting Mud's Women. Uh, but then he kept after having to rewrite all the other episodes. So he eventually turned this in, this script of the envelope, like two days before his contract was actually up. Oh, and he was like, fuck this. I'm not going back to work for Roddenberry. Um, so Roddenberry, like, rewrote it, kind of. He, like, got the script and he's like, I don't like this. I'm going to rewrite it. Um, and their compliance guy was like, yeah, no, this is it. It does. It mostly doesn't borrow everything from John D.F. Black's script. Why don't we just give him some money and say, why don't you sign this piece of paper saying that you're done and that you've been paid for everything you've done? And John D.F. Black was like, I don't trust you, as he should not have. Yeah. And he spoke to the Writers Guild of America. And he was like, hey, WGA, uh, yay for striking. And yo, what the hell is going on? Like, they're they're copywriting me. Um that immediately it goes into a board for arbitration where people read both scripts and then they decide whether or not it's copywritten. John D.F. Black was like, my screenplay speaks for itself. So he entered no, like, you know, explanation. Mm-hmm. Roddenberry did. Roddenberry did talk to the WGA and he's like, Yo, all of these were my ideas and everything that you see that's the same was all part of John's job. He was the story editor. Of course, of course, there are bits that are his, but it was all my original ideas. And he fucking won. The board ruled with Ron Barry. John D.F. Black maintained for like 20 years that the main 
points of the episode were entirely his idea. Spock's whole thing, the plot, the all the extra special stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once, you know, it, it went to Roddenberry and when Roddenberry finished his draft, he left it on Justman's note uh, desk with a note that said, I leave behind this while I'm on vacation, some 60 pages of genius. Read it and weep as Alexander did when he saw the glories of Egypt. Oh my God. <laughs> Humbly oh yours, Roddenberry. How much cum was on that letter? Jesus Christ. So I, I thought mean, that was fucking hilarious. The good, the bad, and the gene. It always comes back to that. Yup. Uh, and this was all shot in four days to save money. Okay. Did it end up saving money? No, not really. But they sure did try. Um, the other reason why they did this is because uh, Justman was like, we are not going to make air date. We are not going to make air date for 15 episodes. Um, we need to do this so that we can make our air dates. And in fact, they did miss a couple of air dates. That's where we get a rerun of what little girls are made of. Oh, interesting. Yes. yes. So, so yeah, it was also, it was finished in like a couple days. Of course, the, the special effects took like a while. It was a whole thing. Let's get into this episode. Let's get into it. Yeah. So we open on Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beaming down to the side of a modern apartment building. Yes. Oh, my God. With topiaries and, like, just metal scraps arranged mm-hmm. in such a way to suggest a sculpture. Like, not anything, but just so that we know, like, ah, oh, this is a modern art sculpture. Joke's on you. That's a $10,000 sculpture they had in there. Joke's on you. $10,000 sculpture. So. This is Starbase 11, and they've apparently received a subspace message asking that they divert there. Uh, But then Crewman Piper, a lady, walks up, assistant to the base commander, Commodore Jose Mendez, and they're like, welcome to Starbase 11. There was no such message. Bye. Like, she just, like, walks away. When I first started, it's it's one of the things I'm like, oh, okay, we're getting this plot point. Yep, a message came that didn't come from like, okay. So I was a little, I was a little bit on shaky ground. So I'm like, okay, I'm what? How? Who's not doing it? Who's not doing it? So they go to Mendez's quarters, uh, where Kirk insists uh, that Spock got this message. He got it from Captain Pike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mendez is like, um. Excuse me, you don't know about Captain Pike? The moment that Captain Pike was said, my heart skipped a beat. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, it's happening. Instantly then, we were off on the race. I was excited. Mm -hmm. He leads them to the medical section and explains that during an inspection tour of a cadet vessel, uh, one of the baffle plates ruptured. There was a horrifying accident in which Pike saved uh like two children or a number of children and then was extremely fucked up we walk and we see this black wheelchair and it's it's showing half of his face it's very harvey dent in the dark night yeah where harvey's like i'm mad about stuff and then he turns and it's all skeletal 
Um, so the chair turns around and there's this horrifying burn on the side of Pike's face. Uh, and Spock looks really emotionally touched. Yeah. Like there's a close up of his face and you can just feel the shit behind it. So this person uh, was Sean Kenny. No, there they was not Jeffrey Hunter, the person who originally played Pike. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This was a different person. Um, he was hired because, see, this is like the weird thing is they think that the reason Jeffrey Hunter didn't come back is because his wife was an asshole and like wouldn't let him do certain things. I have a fun fact about it. And I didn't think it was real until it was in one of the like messages about possibly getting Jeffrey Hunter back where someone says, if his wife will let him back for a couple days. Oh my God. But then they said like, oh, well, Jeffrey's like doing a shoot in Spain, so he can't do it. So they found this guy, Sean Kenny, who was 28, and he looked so much like Jeffrey Hunter that they're like, fuck yes. I didn't, uh, didn't know any of the wiser. Yeah, exactly. And even in some of the reviews of the time, they're like, Jeffrey Hunter looks great in the makeup. Um, because they looked so similar and Ron Barry was basically like, so we want this guy to be like the lead, um, but you're not going to have any lines and you'll just be like beeping. Um, and, and Sean Kenny was like, huh, like that's weird. And he's like, so um, you see how your headshot looks a lot like this other actor. <laughs> also, you're not allergic to latex, right? Like you're, you're sure you're not allergic to latex. Um, so what I find fascinating about this is that, in the second Back to the Future film, they did a person in makeup to look like Christopher Glover as old George McFly. Mm-mm. And they got sued by Crispin Glover because they basically pulled off his likeness. I'm extraordinarily Ooh. curious how they would get away with this today if it, they're trying too much to get it to look like. So would they need Jeffrey Hunter's approval? Because did they get Jeffrey Hunter's approval for someone else to play Captain Pike? He was paid for mm. reusing the episode and he was the asked, episode but and he, he was asked to come back and like refused so it probably there probably wasn't anything protecting him contractually yeah not at that point yeah well because uh, the uh, really it took you know uh 20 more years until you know a, a court ruling you know determined oh, yeah. how that would be so yeah i just i just now i find that fascinating but mm-hmm. yes, he, he genuinely looked like that. And the other thing is, when I saw the wheelchair and the beeping uh, once for yes and twice for no, I was excited to see an old friend return who I didn't know was an old friend from the episode of Futurama yes! featuring all of the Star Trek people. I did not yes! realize that even that was a joke fr- about something from Star Trek. So yes, I was like elated during this opening uh, cold open. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, the makeup took five hours to apply. His hair was dyed white which be- was too bright for the cameras oh um and it had to be softened with powder oh my word <laughs> um so again yes he is confined to the wheelchair in his sole means of communication is beeping once for yes and twice for no this is used in all of like science fiction for the rest of time oh yes uh in farscape Uh, which is another one of my favorite shows. John Crichton, the lead, actually says, okay, we're doing the Star Trek method. One for yes, two for no. (laughs) He's trying to communicate with a being that can only, like, beep. 
so they're like, okay, well, we'll we'll like leave. And Spock's like, could I just have a moment alone with Pike? And they're like, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, and so he walks over to his officer and he goes, you know why I have come. <gasps> I know it is treachery and it's mutiny, but I must do this. I have no choice. Gasped. Just keeps beeping no or yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it, it seemed more like it could be yes, 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 yes. yes but yes. I'd interpret yes, it yes. as no, no, no. <laughs> so this is the moment where my mind started to like unravel. And I was like, what is happening? Spock never disobeys. And they got me. They hooked me in from there. And I was on Mr. Spock's wild ride. Yes, that is one of the things that John D.F. Black says were his idea that it would be Spock doing something against the rules. Wow. Uh, space, the final frontier, or Mendez's office, which is neon pink, just the most neon like light gel that they could find. Uh, so he, Kirk is continuing. To stand by his Vulcan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Mendez is like, so uh, you came here for a message that only your first officer heard about his former commanding officer. Hmm. And Kirk is like, no, no. Mendez even shows Kirk the tapes, which show no transmissions. He emphasizes that Pike could not have made the call, which pisses Kirk off and he's like well then someone here must have changed the data clearly they made this transmission and then deleted it so what's going on um if because if Spock wanted to see Pike Kirk would have granted it there's no reason for Spock to to do any kind of subterfuge just to see Pike uh and it couldn't have been any other aliens in the sector pulling a fast one uh I love these moments and any procedural because we have to treat this like what it is. We are now entering the early stages of a courtroom drama space, and we are court, seeing space. the crime being committed, the space yes. crime. I, when, when I started to realize what was happening and this moment, this was when I started to go, okay, so Spock is obeying command. And now it's like, oh, you know, because of course we're eliminating him as the suspect right away. We're getting the reveal. It reminded me of a certain movie that, if you are a subscriber to our feed, no, mm-hmm. is today's episode of Not a Hate Watch, oh, oh, oh. A Few Good Men. So this is <gasps> extra content, spillover content from Not a Hate Watch, uh, the end of our summer cruise into the Tom Triangle. Uh, I loved A Few Good Men. I And I realized during that, I love a good courtroom procedural or like an investigative, like any sort of thing. That's why I love The Snowman, despite the fact that it's a shitty film. It still is that sort of thing. So the setup for this was just fantastic because in these moments, I'm literally trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, so did Pike send the communication and then he deleted it because he's like, what, a psychic? We have ESP. We know what it is. Did, is, is whatever those things. But I actually didn't suspect Spock. Like, I didn't <gasps> suspect Spock during this part that he was talking. I literally thought... Okay, yeah, it couldn't have been him. And I just didn't think anything of it because I was too overwhelmed by Spock. that part of it. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. Spock is – because I thought, like, 
Pike must be the one behind it. He has to be the mastermind. Mm-hmm. But because, you know, oh, it's, I assumed this was a plan that was set up by Pike and he was trying to tell him, no, don't do it. I don't want you to do it anymore. But no, I never thought that Spock would carry out this by himself. I was even, even though it was like literally told to me, I still was like, okay, well, like someone has to be behind like Spock's thing of this. Like, so of course, like that's going to be the reveal. Oh boy. So Kirk has Mendez call the computer center and he's like, Chief Pumple, like confirm, like check the records to make sure that no transmission has gone out. So Humple confirms he's checked, he's rechecked, no message was sent. He leaves the lab and dun 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 Spock sneaks into the lab he sneaks around and nerve pinches the other technician there (gasps) what's Spock up to he starts operating a computer meanwhile Mendes's aide Miss Piper uh, enters the office with another report denying summoning the starship Uh, she's like oh hi Kirk and he's like, I don't know you. And he's like, oh, Dr. Helen Noel told me all about you. Helen, you know her. Oh, You know my her, God. the terrible, terrible employee that doesn't obey any of your orders and puts everyone in danger. I love the fact that it was like, oh, they know each other. And, and I immediately took the double entendre, which I love which is a biblical double entendre because the mm-hmm. word they knew each other was code for oh! they fucked. And they, they were acting oh. like, he, basically what I took it as, even before I, I thought about the word phrasing of new, I was thinking that she had basically was like, oh yeah, I heard stories about how you are like, you are lay pipe and I, yeah. and I know who you are, Kirk. And that's why Kirk was like, oh, and gave that little wry smile at the end. I'm like, oh, yeah. It, it, Kirk can't help but acknowledge he fucks. Like, it's he so, fucks. it was such a perfect moment. Oh, my God. It was so perfect. Um, but she also mentions, she's like, wow, Spock is, like, extremely loyal to Pike. Mm-hmm. Kirk is just not taking this well. You do not insult his man. Yeah. Uh, his Vulcan. He he's like, no, Vulcans are incapable of disloyalty. They're incapable. But Piper and Mendez insist that not only cannot Pike do this, he's also under constant observation. He could not have even asked for the message to be sent. Back to Spock making deep fakes. I was going to say he deep fakes Kirk and other people or just Kirk's voice. Yeah. I lost my mind when he took the little cartridges out and he put them in and, and the recording is basically Kirk saying, uh, enterprise to ship. Uh, we're going to need you to set to like warp, whatever. Uh, and then, Oh, and by the way, Spock's going to speak everything else on my behalf. I gotta go. Bye. Yeah. Just like a law by just like, Hey, so I sent some orders up to the enterprise. It's in the computer. Don't worry about it. In fact, you can't see it. It's like super scrambled, but like, if you have any questions, ask Spock, just ask Spock. So he like does both like Starbase operations and Kirk being like, no, this is like super, super fine. Uh, On board. Not only do we get deep fakes, we get a chat GPT algorithm that is just inserted into it because yep. the computer knows, the algorithm knows, you don't have to know. Oh my word, it all comes back to it. They knew about yep. this in the 60s. They were they trying did. to warn us. Roddenberry knew! Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
so on board uhura gets this message uh she's like okay um uhura is like calling for confirmation being like hey are we sure about this are we sure about everything here is this what we're sure about um and meanwhile humble the the guy who had previously been called to check on this walks in on spock doing his little ai nonsense yeah he tries to wrestle and punch spock away from the computer terminal um spock takes an epic punch to the face like a champ oh yeah and then nerve punches humble as well nerve punches it is it's a very aggressive nerve pinch that he does it basically is a nerve punch yes uh uhura then tries to call kirk and that's when spock also interferes with that message yeah and he's like hi i'm kirk just ask spock any 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 questions just you know uh also don't talk about it with the crew or starbase personnel that just uh don't thanks if i if i had any doubt beforehand that this was all spock's idea all that went out the window right here especially earlier combined with the part where they Mm -hmm. say pike's under constant you know monitoring and there's no way yeah. he could have done it and then also just seeing you know spot commit a crime <laughs> it's like right? oh okay like this is happening this is really happening and then my heart started just like going up in speed i was thrilled i had no this is not an episode that i know of or i've even heard a little bit about we had talked previously that they had gotten elements of the cage mm-hmm. incorporated in there so i assumed this part had to be into it Ooh. but i haven't really looked up what the cage was about in a while so i also was d- didn't i didn't know where this episode could even go so yeah i just was super excited yes um so kirk and mccoy they're still watching pike on this monitor and he is still saying yes 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 <laughs> yes yeah. yes or no 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 <laughs> To an unknown question, Kirk and McCoy, they're talking about the frustrating limitations on the art of medicine. McCoy says, blast medicine anyway. Uh, Kirk is asking him, Bones, does this have anything to do with Spock? He's asking the one person who has been detracting Spock this whole time. Could Spock have lied? But McCoy's like, he's a Vulcan and Vulcans don't lie. Don't ask a racist about the capabilities of a particular race. Uh, they will always be limited. Uh, they're like, no, Vulcans don't lie. They cannot lie. Uh, Kirk's like, but he's half human. And McCoy's like, no, it's hidden deep within him. It's in his you collective are- unconscious. It's not in his active mm-hmm. conscious. Uh, you and I could run off with a hack, run off hack. Co- Ugh, I can't even say this one. You and I could run off half cocked given a good reason but spock no <laughs> so i just love that idea both of them could run off half cocked but before they can figure out more mccoy gets a message from starbase control and they're like there's an there's medical emergency on the enterprise you gotta go mccoy's like cool peace out again sus super sus at this point mm-hmm. and even mccoy is like oh it's probably just a hangnail well, i better get up there like okay i got an order uh so he leaves mendez walks in and shows and brings an interesting report to kirk that's right it's a, a report on the planet talos 4 marked top secret for starfleet command only uh 
It says no vessel under any condition, emergency or otherwise, is to visit Talos Four. It is the only capital offense left on the books uh, for no reason that they know. But it does have the only Starfleet vessel that has ever visited Talos Four. That's right! It's the Enterprise! The Enterprise! With Captain Kirk and his half-Vulcan science officer, Spock. Now, this report is in a sparkly red binder. Missy. You, you, said, uh, you said Captain Kirk and Spock. Oh, Captain you're Pike correct. You're correct. Thank you. Captain Pike and Spock. It is in a sparkly red binder. Missy, what color of subject did you put in the red binder when you were in oh. school? Oh, no. Okay. I got to think. Well, I always put green was math. Oh, it was really? My yeah, green's my favorite color and math was my favorite subject. So I avoided science. I think I put... I think I put science in blue. Uh, I think English was red and history was yellow, but that might have flip-flopped. Mm. So uh, that's what I feel like it was done. But I can I, all I can remember for sure is that math was green, and I think science science also may have been yellow. But I now that I'm saying it, I think English usually was red. Mm. Uh, for me. Red is my least favorite color, and math yeah. is my least favorite subject. So red was math. Yes, that is not shocking. I I am one of the few weirdos where math just made sense. Yo. Uh, so suddenly, Miss Piper notices that Captain Pike has disappeared from his room on the monitor. So much for constant monitoring. Yeah, you know? right? Uh, he's gone. Mendez is like, uh, what's going on? But he is told that fucking the Enterprise is leaving orbit and refusing Pew! to answer. The Enterprise is gone, Missy. And that, oh, the, the disappearance of Pike was not so oh conveniently timed at the same moment that McCoy was beamed up back to the ship. Not at all. On the bridge, the Enterprise is departing from Starbase 11, completely under computer control. Uh, it's, it's like Spock, Uhura, and Lieutenant Hansen are the only people on the bridge. Uh, mm -hmm. And Uhura gets a communication signal, and Spock tells her not to reply. And we get a lot of yeah. looks from Uhura in this episode. And a lot of my understanding of sort of their relationship at this point is based on uh, Strange New Worlds, because in Strange New Worlds, Uhura is one of the only, it's Uhura and Spock are the only people who hold over. Mm -hmm. So it suggests that Uhura and Spock know each other a lot, a lot, a lot better. And they also know Captain Pike pretty well. Um, so throughout this, I kind of get the impression that Uhura is a little bit like, this is weird. This doesn't make any sense. But Spock is doing an I trust Spock. Yeah. Whereas he can't, he doesn't have that sort of reliable uh, trust with anyone else on the crew. Everyone else has changed. I wonder if this is canonically mirroring the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies in which Uhura and Spock were dating. So I wonder if that is going to become just sort of canonical 
that they were previously together. But but I guess I don't know then why Uhura. I mean, do you know what? If they were previously together, it would make sense why Uhura in the first episode we saw is like Spock. How come you don't tell me I'm beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. No, there was definitely always planned to be some kind of flirtation there. Um, yeah. But. Uh, for sure, I can confirm that they have never previously dated. Okay. Um, okay. It's, I mean, specifically, like Spock is still uh, in an arranged marriage, essentially, at this point, but he's also a Ooh. Vulcan. It's a whole thing. We'll get there. Oh, we'll get we there. We will get there. But, oh, I'm curious. Regardless, those are the only people on the bridge. And Spock has just told her not to reply to a communication. And you know what? She doesn't. Like, you could absolutely read this episode that Uhura did not know anything that Spock was doing or even that anything that Spock was doing was off. Or you could read that she kind of knew that something was off, but is just like, uh, it's probably for a good reason. Uh, I, I think a subtext of this, especially with McCoy, is that a lot of people will go along with a plan because they're just following orders. And so because of the chain of command, like Spock is exploiting yes. the bureaucracy of the of Starfleet mm -hmm. by getting himself into the position of being in command and having the authority and the trust of people to think it's off, but not necessarily question him. Because what motive would Spock have to do something that is amoral? And we're about to just see how deep that goes because... Spock is like, I'm going to make an address to the whole ship. Like, hey, ship, Captain Kirk has been given medical rest leave, and I am assuming command, period. McCoy walks in and is like, huh, that's really interesting how he was given medical rest leave that I know nothing about. Yeah. Spock, what? And like, McCoy's little brain cannot fucking put this together. He's like... It's just the same as with Nancy Crater in the very first episode where he's like, woman eating my friend clearly is evil monster, <laughs> but looks like my, 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 my girlfriend. I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. She's clearly transforming in and out of this form, but I still can't do it. So he's like, what is happening? Uh, Spock is like, McCoy, I have a really, really important thing to show you in the guest quarters right fucking now. Like, right the fuck now. And McCoy's like, sure, Vulcans don't lie. So I guess I'll just follow him. Um, I mean, he has no reason to believe that. Because they, they have no reason to believe that Spock will lie. But even more than that, they have no reason to believe that Spock would walk them into danger. So I yeah. don't think that anyone's weird for not for doing what spock tells them oh no for sure but i i was curious at this moment is spock gonna let him in the plan or is he gonna incapacitate mccoy mm -hmm. so that he can't raise up concerns i was really curious what was gonna happen next uh but what he's doing is he's taking him to guest quarters to take care of captain pike that's right they need a doctor pike is still beeping no and mccoy's like oh my god pike you're here what are you beeping no about? He immediately goes to, like, comfort Pike. Like, not even, like, yeah. wait a minute. Mr. Spock just led me to this room and knew he was here. Like. <laughs> yeah. Didn't that, did just was immediately in, like, concern mode. Yeah. Uh, but Spock 
you know, he's like, hang on, hang on, Dr. McCoy, let me play a tape for you. And he just plays his little deep fake. Another little AI deep fake of Kirk being like, so uh, don't ask any questions and just do what Spock says. Uh, see, and this is the layers. And now I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw you the theory that I was building mm. at this point. And we're not going to spoil whether or not this is, is true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to, you know, I, I want people who haven't seen this episode, which, you know, if you're listening to this, this uh, series, I hope you are watching along with it. But I do understand oh, yeah. that some people listen to things so that they don't have to watch it. Um, so if you're one of those people, hello, we love having you here. Hello. So in this, I was building it up and saying, okay, is Spock trying to get Pike back in command because he learned that Spock is alive and thus Pike is the captain of the Enterprise. Oh, because like Pike, he's the rightful because, captain. Yeah. So I'm like, is this Pike doing this or is this Spock in a twisted mm-hmm. way him doing it to get Pike on there. So I was really curious about that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And also w- w- at what point, when when did this plan hatch? Like this is the part that I was getting really curious about, but also knowing this report about Talos 4, I also am going, okay, they're going to Talos 4. They're going to go to Talos 4, but why? What is happening here? Captain Emily, I'm, I can't what handle the suspense. What is happening? Well, that's okay because something's about to interrupt that suspension. And that's right. It's the shuttlecraft. It's still trying to make contact with the Enterprise. Uh, And, you know, Hanson's like, there is a shuttlecraft approaching. It is trying to talk to us. Same as the other things. Spock is like, do not make contact. Nope. Hanson's like, "Uh, excuse me. He's like, no contact. No contact is made. Back aboard the shuttlecraft, or not back, for the first time aboard the shuttlecraft, we see, it's also called the shuttlecraft Picasso. Ooh. Cute. Um, Kirk and Mendez, they're in there. They're trying to get the ship on fucking the phone. And they the Enterprise keeps not responding. Kirk is getting pissed off. He's like, Enterprise! Enterprise! Enterprise, Respond! It's his wife that they've captured. The Enterprise is his is his his life. It is. Uh, and it's really bad business now because they've gone too far from the shuttle base. They cannot return safely. So they're just following the Enterprise, not able to turn around, hoping that the Enterprise will pick them up. They think that the ship is going to Talos 4. And they have no fucking idea why. So when the fuel finally runs out and it's coasting, uh, back on the Enterprise, Spock realizes that they're going to fucking die. That, like, Kirk is just going to die on a shuttlecraft if they do nothing. Uh, So he's like, all right, the jig is up. I have to save Kirk. He's on the craft. Uh, Kirk and Mendez are being really pissy. Kirk's like, blast it. You shouldn't have come, Mendez. Um, Blast you anyways. Um, but Mendez has a great RHIP rank half its privileges. <laughs> yep. Uh, and they talk about how if they make it on that ship, they're going to have to court Marshal Spock. Like he did something wildly illegal. Yeah. And Kirk's like, I almost hope we don't have to go on that ship. Like, I don't want to have to court Marshal my best fucking friend. And that's when I realized they are going to court Marshal his best fucking friend. Oh, boy. Aboard the Enterprise, McCoy is all, 
uh, who is in the shuttlecraft because I can only think of one person who would be following us in a shuttlecraft and it happens to be someone who I did not put on medical leave. Spock. All of the barriers of racism are starting to break down and I'm starting to believe you (laughs) capable of things that everyone else is also capable of. Ironically, his racism is learning that that Vulcans can be bad. Vulcans can be bad, maybe. Well, half half Vulcans. Yeah. Um. So Spock does some quick thinking. He sets the ship so that it can only obey the computer, and then turns off the engine. It comes to a full stop, and Spock summons an armed security team to the bridge. Orders the transporter room to beam Captain Kirk aboard and says, Lieutenant Hanson, you're in command. Hey, McCoy, you're the most senior officer present. I need you to put me under arrest right now for mutiny. Shocked. I was shocked. I th- I swore it was going to be that, that they would unravel it and accuse him and, or he would keep with a jig. But when he confessed to it, I mm-hmm. was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Mm-hmm. I Like, oh, did the just Vulcan half just, like, leak out and he couldn't do it anymore? Like, McCoy is as flabbergasted. He's like, uh, hey, like, you know, the guys are here. McCoy, order them to take me to my quarters because I am under arrest. And McCoy, like, finally gets it out. He's like, "Uh, yeah, mutiny. And Spock's like, that was very adequate, doctor. Like, good job. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which I thought was very funny. Um, He's like, I will make no trouble. and is marched off to his quarters to be confined. He puts himself essentially under arrest for mutiny. Kirk and Mendes beam aboard and the engines restart, but the computer still has control of the ship. Yeah. And we get uh, one of my favorite guest stars, the voice of the computer. Negative. Cannot do that, Captain. And that voice. Well, who is that other than our very own Nurse Chapel? That's right. It's Majel Barrett. Hey! Yup! And do you know what I did not realize that the name of the computer is? Hmm. Number one. It is? As far as I know, she is credited as number one. So there is a reason she's credited as number one. When oh, we, is that from the cage? That is from the cage. In the oh, original cage. Oh, never mind. She was number one. She was the first officer. And when... The cage didn't go forward when they were changing all of the the who was getting hired and, and being in what mm-hmm. positions or not. They didn't want to keep Majel Barrett as number one. They didn't want okay. a female first officer. And Ron Barry was like, well, I'll get you in there. I'll get you on there somehow, some way, Majel, my girlfriend. Uh, and so that's why she's the voice of the computer. That's beautiful. But now I will personally, in our Red Shards canon, only refer to the computer voice as number one. Hell yeah. I love it. Hell yeah. Um, so once again, they we have Kirk is now aboard the ship, once again in control, but they cannot turn off the, the computer command. Otherwise, their life support systems are going to be destroyed. Oh, There's yeah. Kirk. I was like, Spock, what sort of deadly jigsaw game did you set up here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as the Enterprise continues towards Talos 4, arrangements are made 
for a preliminary <laughs> hearing uh, for Mr. Spock. Kirk says, in all my years of service, this is the most painful moment I have ever faced. Spock Brutal, immediately savage, wrecked. waves his right to a hearing and requests immediate general court-martial. Kirk's like, we have to have this hearing. He's like, I would like to respectfully refuse a hearing and just go straight to my sentencing. What? What? Uh, what is happening? Kirk denies this request. He's like, okay, no. We, In order to do that, you need three command grade officers, and there are only two aboard this ship, me and Mendez. Kirk, however has forgotten one thing. Mr. Spock says, oh, no, we have three. Mm, that would be Commander Pike. That's when I wondered, oh, wait a minute. He set all this up for a tribunal of them. And I was like, wait a minute. Why did he bring him up? I'm still confused. I don't know yeah. what's happening. Kirk's like denied. He is only able to beep once for yes, twice for no. Like the man's not a commander. But Mendez shares that they didn't have the heart to retire him. So he's still on the list. And whatever Spock has planned, he planned it well. He My favorite, yeah. fucking did. It just basically is, <laughs> I think he even compliments Spock. He's like, oh, yeah. well, he gotcha. It just yeah. was like, it wasn't that, but it basically was. He was just <laughs> like, well played. Like, okay. He got us there. So they convene a court-martial. Uh, Mendez presides. He reminds Spock that if the Enterprise enters the Talos Star Group, the death penalty penalty will be held against him. Uh, which Spock confirms he is aware. And Mendez says, "Why? Why are we going to Talos? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why?" Um, Spock asks if Mendez's comments are part of the record. Mendez says, "Yeah, of course," and he says. Oh, sweet. Well, now that you've asked the open-ended question, why? I clearly can do whatever the fuck I want. I need a view screen in here. <laughs> yeah. I Again, the, the, the amount of layering it is, it was like watching a criminal mastermind. Yes. Play. It was like, wow, Spock truly could be capable of the most evil shit if they had a heart for that. Yep. And I didn't trust that he did. Of course, I know that this is somehow going to work out well, but like, wow, it was so insanely calculated every single step. I, I Thrilling thrilling so they bring in a fucking projector they bring in the computer cart or the the tv cart you're about to watch some bill nye everyone <laughs> or some beekman's world some beekman's world <laughs> so scotty activates this little television screen and on the screen we see the the voyage of the enterprise to talos for 13 years prior pike stares into his own handsome face um and here's where we have yes it was um it was sean kenny who played that character after he spent five days in all of that makeup and he was only able to drink out of a straw um and they taped his eyelids down so that he would have that like puppy dog look um they gave him a they gave him a recurring role they're like you get to be on the helm oh nice <laughs> yeah which was very nice of them um so Kirk is like, is that really you, Chris, on this screen? They're, like, we don't take videos like this. Like, I have been in Starfleet. Like, they don't have, like, 
Big Brother style cameras. Yeah. Going on. Uh, but Pike says, yes, he is in the video, but no, those are not the videos that were made during the voyage by the Enterprise. Ooh, ooh, who made these videos? Who made these videos, you say? Uh, was it Gene Ronberry? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, so, uh, Spock will not explain how the video was produced, uh, but reminds Mendez that he they have to watch it because Mendez asked why. And now they get to, uh, and, and Kirk is like, no, I want to see more of this. Like, I got to see more of this. We zoom into the screen to watch the cage. I was, the setup to this and realizing this is how they're incorporating (laughs) the footage from the cage. I, I, I clapped Gene Roddenberry and, or what's the story editor's name again? Uh, John D.F. Black. John D.F. Black, you know, whatever bastardization combination between the two, you know, it's it's probably a little bit of both, oh, yeah. you know, if we're being oh, yeah. real, um, but probably a lot more of John. So I, I applaud them for this setup. I was I really, I, I had, I had forgotten, even with Pike's inclusion, that that's what was going to be happening. So when it did happen, I just was like stunned. I'm like, oh my God, we're going from picture, picture into the actual just pilot footage. And it looked really good. Yeah. It looked nice. It looked excellent. Um, but let, let's talk about filming the cage. Okay. So we're filming the cage and we have a couple issues that start on the first day. Uh, what's the first issue while we're filming? Well, we're filming on a really old, really big stage that Desilu has not used since, like, the 40s. Like, this is a big silent film era stage. Okay. And there are pigeons that have been living in the rafters for nigh on generations. Cooing whenever lines are being said. Annoyed by the the lights. the pooping. Yes. Yeah. Pooping. So they're like, all right, this isn't going to work. Let's send a lighting guy up there to scare the pigeons. Lighting guy goes up there, uh, scares the pigeons, and they take flight running into the lights, running into the rafters, running into the people. John D.F. Black is like, fuck, turn off the lights and open the doors. They will fly (laughs) daylight. No, more pigeons flew in. They went to film The Cage. It was a bird cage, and then it uh, ended up being just the birds. Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, but it took a minute for John, uh, not John D.F. Black, I'm sorry, uh, Justman, uh, to be like, let's put some food outside. <laughs> Bread on the ground, a pigeons got out, and they had to have a guy stand by the door to make sure no birds got in. <laughs> Issue number two, that beautiful bridge that we see. So this is a split level design made up of eight wild sections. That means segments on wheels that they could wheel around so that they could put cameras like in between and Mm -hmm. get different types of shots, push them back together, get a different shot. Um, But they were really squeaky. And and when you stepped on them, like, like people would be walking around and just be like, squeak, squeak, squeak. I have to share very briefly uh, a moment from one of the worst theater productions I've ever seen. Yes. It was a local production of A Streetcar Named Desire. 
Mm. And uh, it it was it was a disaster all the way through the process. I, from I knew from the actors who were talking to me about it that it was just bad, and the director just was did not have a handle on things. But the set design was uh, the apartment was on a giant wheel that they were able to rotate ooh. to have different parts of the set come on. Yeah, ooh, like okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That thing was so loud and clunky and spinny <laughs> that anytime they moved the set, you, I was pulled immediately out of the action and was just like, <laughs> and it was so bad. And then to to not put too much of a fine point on it, but one of the more emotional, intense moments of Streetcar Named Desire is when Stanley um, rapes Stella. Yes. And I didn't know that moment. I didn't know it was a moment of the play. So it was coming up and I'm like, oh shit. But then the director chose to rotate the set all during that. And so, like, we don't see it. And it's fine. Like, I didn't want to see it. So I'm like, okay. But then, like, during those moments, we hear it. But I don't hear Stella and Stanley struggling. I hear ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And some noises of people in between it all. And I just was astonished at the incompetence that yep. led up to that and so yes i i sympathize <laughs> with them working on a clunky set because it is a real problem yep. it's a true real problem that sometimes people don't think about and plan about is what's your set going to sound like when you actually walk on it yeah a third thing they weren't thinking about uh when they built this place well you see it was built during the silent film era so they were able to spend a lot of money not doing double walls usually you build a wall, you run all the pipes, and then you build another wall in front of it. Yeah. It isolates the sound. That's how most places are built. Unless you're in a factory or something. So they saved a lot of money not building that second wall. Meaning that anytime anyone flushed a toilet, everybody heard it. Oh my fucking god. And it would <laughs> and you had Oh my god. For the pipes to resettle after that. So People would just go use the bathroom. They installed a red light. They're like, all right, we'll put a red light in the bathroom. When the light is red, don't flush the fucking toilet. People kept flushing the fucking toilet. They had to put a dude outside the bathrooms to make sure no one went in during shots. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> so those that is that is my presentation of the filming of the cage. <laughs> I love that there was just a noises off level of things that had to go. Like, even if it had just been the pigeons, but the pigeons, the squeakiness and toilet flushing, Mm -hmm. like that ends Mm -hmm. up being a shit day for you. (laughs) Which is great also because like, just a little bit later, they were trying to film, um, I forget which episode. I think it's where no man has gone before, where there was a bunch of wasps. Yes, that is. I remember you talking about wasps. Oh my god. Pigeons and then wasps. Yeah. I'm just like, Desi Lu, what is going on? And then tr- and then tribbles. And then tribbles. <laughs> so much trouble with them. So we're back in the cage. There are some wonderful details we get to see in where no man has gone before. Uh the gooseneck top to their sweater. Yeah. Um Spock has like fluffy sort of hair. He doesn't have yeah. that monkey's haircut, and his eyebrows are super fluffy as well. Uh, I I clocked both those things. He had a homeschooler haircut and homeschooler unkempt eyebrows. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we're on the bridge. 
and the Enterprise is going through an old-style distress signal. And we can tell because all of the stars shake a little bit as if they're going through, like, heat waves, you know, as they go through elements of this signal. Um, Spock is shouting all of his lines. Iconic. Um, He's like, we're in the Talu system! We've never explored it, but there's one class M planet. Uh, there. This could be from a group that might have survived if they landed there on that planet. Um, L- Leonard Nimoy was acting to the back of that fucking yep. s- studio, All not just pitches. the set. Yeah, every he just. Do you know why he was just he was yelling over the sound of people flushing constantly? <laughs> is what it was. He just was like so done with it that he's like, "Nair, if anyone flushes, you ain't gonna hear it." <laughs> yup. All you hear is Spock. Um, so there's this group of surpri- survivors that could be alive. They sent a distress signal, but we have no way to confirm if they're even still alive. And it's been years. Uh, so Pike is like, we have sick and injured people on board right now, and we need to get them to a starbase. So without evidence of survivors, we're going to keep going. Um he then goes to his room and we walk through the hallways where we get to see a woman in a tennis skirt. Yeah. Like street clothes. There's a dude in like Bermuda shorts and yeah. flip flops. Like the, the, I didn't know that it was uh casual Fridays right? on the enterprise at that time. So Pike goes into his room, calls the doctor. Doctor comes in and he's like, so, we're talking about not going to Talos. Pike is like, I want you to put down in your report why we're not going to Talos. I just want to get all of our shit together in a row. And the doctor starts making a drink. He makes a martini for Pike. Yeah. He starts Again, putting ice in it. Lucy goosey here on the bridge. But I have to say, I adored this room it is mid-century modern on steroids that wooden huge Mm -hmm. wooden tv with the tiny screen on it just made me like oh oh i just want to i want that to be a room in my house it was gorgeous in strange new worlds pike also has a glorious room uh mid-century modern and always has a fireplace oh my god right where does the where do they go with the exhaust where does that go (laughs) Where's the flu? But it's amazing. Um, so the doctor starts, he makes a martini. He's like, no one wants a warm martini. That's why I put ice in it. And he's like, well, sometimes a man will tell his bartender things that he would never tell his doctor. He's basically saying, like, I'm here to talk, bro. Um, the doctor's like, so remember that that mission we were just on where seven people died? And the reason why we have injured people on the ship? How are you doing, Captain? Like, seven people just fucking died. Like, how are you? You seem tired. (laughs) And Pike is like, yes, I'm fucking tired. Like, I should have turned around when I saw that armor. Like, I, this was my fault. I'm fucking tired. I'm tired of being responsible for 203 lives. Yeah. Who lives and picking who lives and who dies. Um, so we, we double that number by Charlie X. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> like 423 people or whatever. Um, and the doctor is like, oh, sweet. You're tired. So you're going to do what I've been saying. Take a rest. Take a rest leave. 
And Pike is like, maybe I'll just resign. I'll just go to my nice 50s suburban neighborhood and <laughs> take out my nice 50s suburban horses. And or I could be a trader. I could I could be a merchant. Uh, and the doctor goes, dealing in green animal women and slaves. Okay, that's a big assumption that we just yeah. made. Green animal women and okay, sure, sure. Um, we're gonna learn more about green animal women in the next part. Just a little. Oh my! <laughs> were you expecting oh, that, Missy? No, I didn't expect those words to be strung together. <laughs> yup. Um. So Pike's like, okay, no, but the point is. I can do other things. There's more than just being a captain. And the doctor's like, bullshit, this is the only thing you can do, Pike. Um, Spock calls in. Oh, and then he says another line, which is a little bit like with the theme that we're really going to get into next episode. He says, the doctor says, there are people who live and then they die. And you can do one thing and live. Or you can do anything else, and that's when you start dying. Yeah. And uh, this is the moment that I'm like, wow. They really made Captain Christopher Pike a cuck. Like, he <laughs> opens with, it's like his ship got like, you know, he found it in bed with someone else. And he's just like, <laughs> I don't think I can keep this marriage together anymore. Like, he is so done with him. Like, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Kirk get that done. Like, yeah. I don't think he definitely never heard him saying, oh, I want to quit before. Like, mm-hmm. my word. Yeah. Even when he even when he had his evil part removed for him and he became like a wimpy kid, like diary of a wimpy kid. Uh, even then, he didn't think about resigning. He just yeah. couldn't make decisions exactly exactly um but at that point they get a message from spock it's confirmed they were able to get another report and there are crash survivors there are 11 human people from a ship that crashed in talos for on that on that planet right now and pike's like well of course we have to go pick those people up there's nothing you can do about that they're survivors we zoom back out to the court martial. That's yeah. right. Remember how we were in another story before this? <laughs> yes. Mendez is all like, Spock, I congratulate you on your imagination, but this is a court of space law, not theater. And I just love that he says it's a court of space law. It's just acknowledging the play within a play that's happening here right now, which is literally just a screenplay within a screenplay that's being played out. Um, Spock asks Pike, he's like, Pike, are we witnessing the actual events of 13 years ago or is this a recreation? Is this theater, as Mendez says? Um, Pike beeps. Yes. Beep. Unambiguous. A no, ambiguous. A yes, unambiguous. And this removes a joke that I had earlier when I thought that it was actually Jeffrey Hunter in there. And I was, I was going to say, it's still a funny line, uh, that of course he knew that it was true because he was there filming on set. He yeah. was there with the squeaky <laughs> wheels. He was there with everything. But now I'm going to say he saw the footage. He read the screenplay script beforehand. My wife let me be here. Of course, yes, I was of there. Uh, <laughs> but he says, yes. Spock offers. He says, hey, 
if after watching this complete transmission, you still want me to release control of the ship, I absolutely will. Uh, but, but, like, you have to watch all of it. Mendes is like, that's fucking ridiculous. That's literally mm-hmm. holding a court hostage. But whatever. Uh, and Kirk votes instead to continue with the whole story. It it is really funny because it is sort of like a judge interrupting like a rambling testimony yeah. and especially like the person's defending themselves and they're like, do you have any idea what you're legally talking about right now? Like, what does this have to do with anything? And Spock's like, sorry, I'm an indirect communicator literally here because <laughs> I'm not communicating any of this. But yes, it is important. But yes, yes, it is. Kirk votes. I want to keep seeing this. Menez says, no, I don't want to keep seeing this. Pike votes beeps let's keep watching my handsome face so back to the handsome face can i just say oh my god that would be so funny if he's just wanting them to play it so he could see himself like before he (laughs) was this thing like literally he's like i just want to what's the motivation behind all this all this plan i just wanted to see myself young again (laughs) wasn't i a hottie the the crime was nostalgia come up on the planet uh and pike gets just handed like 20 different reports explaining how these people are still alive yeah so like mountains of evidence being like these are these people this is how they survived like this is super real like pike do you understand how real this is how those are definitely real humans down there that underwent this situation this is so real life that it has paris hilton and nicole richie it is so real. So real. So he gets a landing party of six together and he says, I'm sorry. Number one, he's speaking to Majel, who is looking, you know, despondently to the side, really. Um, and she is this dark hair as number one. Um, Gorgeous. And he says, we need to keep the most experienced officer here on the bridge. Yeah, duh. Like, obviously, if something happens to me, we need you here. So it's, she's like, of course, Captain. Spock and the others get armed in their sparkly blue coats. Yeah. Beam down to those survivors. Uh, The transporter techs have beige robes on, which looks comfy as hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they get transported down to like this sort of idyllic desert, you know, which was apparently very difficult to light. (laughs) Oh, interesting. So they hear like a, a humming noise. They hear this humming noise and they go around, they're looking for it, and they find a a neon blue plant that's just kind of humming. And then they're like, oh, we still hear some kind of humming. So they they go around some shiny rocks and they see another blue plant humming. And then they're like, oh, we're still hearing humming. And they turn around and they find a ragtag colony of survivors. Hey, hey, hey. It's a bunch of old men in rags and they're like, oh, it's men human men they're here oh my goodness they're all so excited pike goes up and introduces himself they're like oh my god we're going back to earth like is it still there um and then emerging from a tent a hottie that's right a woman a woman the haughty, like, lady. She's young. She's in a little, like, rag skirt. She has 
blue eyeshadow on. And remember, blue eyeshadow is the symbol of evil bisexuality in Star Trek. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you gotta believe that Christopher Pike, like uh, uh, at this point, I'm like, are is he related somehow distantly to Captain Kirk? Because they got the same look when they see a beautiful possibly human probably human uh <laughs> chick just out there they're Whoa. like hell yeah and that's when we zoom out from that screen but not back to the court martial no uh-uh. <gasps> to a group of three strange aliens watching what's happening at the survivor camp and meanwhile Whoa. i'm like what the fuck just happened wait what the fuck is <laughs> happening here like wait a minute like what who are these i'm like we already have like a twist on a twist on this story yup it's uh, like how many layers inception layers are we in like okay there's a fake you know a f- uh, the court marshalling is is all of that and now we're going into this story then apparently are we watch are we all in the is this like a saint elsewhere where the entire star trek is in the minds of these <laughs> aliens like it's a it's a show within a show for them a show within a show for who knows but what we do know right now is that they have giant heads with big old veins on them um it was actually justin who was bob justin was the one doing the squeeze ball of Mm -hmm. air to like pump air in to make their veins move um so that was pretty pretty cool it's like one of those halloween costumes where you have a big chest plate yeah. And you have your little heart and you can squeeze the heart and blood will go down the chest. It was really interesting. I I love that they got Tilda Swinton available to play all the all the roles. <laughs> so Although, these aliens were all played by women. Uh yeah. Meg Wiley was the main one. Um, but the voice that we hear, which we do not hear yet, but the one that we hear from them is Malachi Thorne, who was Mendez. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to know a fun fact about Meg Wiley? Yes. Do you know what play she was in the original production of? No. The Glass Menagerie. <gasps> what? Yeah. She was in the original production what? of What? Yeah. Yeah, I just saw this when I looked what? up uh, her on there. I saw it. I'm like, oh, this is gonna blow her mind. What? I'm I am astounded. That is yeah. amazing, amazing. Okay. Well, we so the the this main Talosian looks over at the other two who seem to get information from that look and yeah walk away and we see that main one take a a strange smile on their face they're up to no good meanwhile pike is at the camp and he's like get everyone ready to beam up when vina walks over and she's just like you appear to be healthy and intelligent captain a prime specimen uh and he's like that's a weird thing to say to someone Uh, (laughs) But another scientist, one of the old man men is there. He's like, you must forgive her. She was raised by a bunch of aging scientists. <laughs> and she says, uh, let's show them our secret. What? That's an interesting thing for her to say. The yeah. doctor comes over and he's like, their health is really good. Like, too good, Captain. Like, all of their health is way too good. 
And she's like, yeah, there's a reason. And the scientist is like, yes, there's a reason for it. Let the girl show you our secret. And they're all like, cool. Pike's like, cool. I'll just follow her then to your secret. Uh, I, You know what? I'm getting setups within this show it's like oh my god i realized i'm gonna have a whole nother unraveling of a story mm-hmm. within our story yeah. in here like what is happening in this now mm-hmm. and she's like oh you're tired but you'll feel better soon pike don't you see it and she's like at they're at the top of a little hill and he looks around and she fucking disappears i was shocked I, I, this episode had so many shocks for me but i didn't like couldn't have ever expected that was was going to be happening like i just figured oh maybe these people are brainwashed or they're like doing it you know by force and so like because they're being forced to do it and it's all set up i never thought no they're just like illusions yeah she completely disappears um and a door opens in the fucking mountain behind them. It's like an escalator door, but you can tell it's rocks because it's all pointy. And the Talosians come out. See, Pike, hit him with a little pen that like, out of it comes a yellow smoke. Pike collapses. They drag him behind the doors and the doors close. The landing party is yelling. They're like, oh my God, oh my God. Trying to shoot phasers at the rocks at that door and nothing is happening. They're stuck. We zoom out. This time to see Kirk and Spock watching. Uh, We watch Kirk watching Spock say, it's a trap, there's no survivors. The captain is lost. Oh, I loved the style of the phasers, how they just were basically old ray gun style yeah. zap zap phasers, as, as well as just the like, <clears throat> it wasn't like, silly or absurd in the acting of it but it was just funny when the the mountain is open it's like and then it's like skedaddle and they just like pulled him in and like pew and you see the elevator go down and their heads are just like slowly disappearing as it goes down while they're firing at it i'm like oh they picked like the freight elevator to see them down they couldn't get something that closed faster when they're doing this captain nabbing Bye. <laughs> so um Uhura interrupts the trial at that moment with a message from Starfleet informing Commodore Mendez that Starfleet subspace monitor- monitors see that the Enterprise has been receiving transmissions from Talos 4 itself. They are going to Talos 4, and the thing that they're watching is from Talos 4. And just the very fact that they're getting that message has violated that Starfleet command. And they all freak the fuck out on Spock. Yeah. They are not happy about this. Like, wait, you're showing us actual stuff from Talos 4. The illegal stuff we're not supposed to be doing. You just made us do. We're now accessories in your crime on top of your mutiny. Yes. Starfleet relieves Kirk of command. He's like, you're all fucking compromised now. Mendez, assume command and disable it if necessary to prevent contact. Like, we cannot go there. And Mendez is shaming Spock. He's just like, you just brought your best friend, your captain. You have risked him, and he's now not captain any longer. Because of your actions, Spock. Like, this is all you're doing. Mm-hmm. I was, I, And I knew we were getting toward the end of the episode. So I was just like, whoa, my God. They are spinning this so perfectly that I, I am, oh, what's going to happen? What, where are we going to be? Yeah. Mendez basically implies that, like, 
Kirk might be killed as well. Like, yeah. we don't know how many people are going to die because of this. Um, and Spock's like, Kirk literally didn't know anything about this. And Mendez is like, he's the captain. He's responsible for everything aboard the ship. Sure. Mendez then orders Spock to release the ship. And Spock says, sir, I respectfully decline. Wow. Ballsy. Ballsy. Okay, Vulcan. Thanks, okay. but no thanks. Mendez is like, court is in recess. As That's when I'm like, this is a play. We are at intermission yeah. right now because court's in yep. recess. Like, oh, perfect. Perfect. This is the, the middle act break and a few good men when I realized, oh yeah, after the recess and that trial, I'm like, yeah, this is where the, the play would then be taking its intermission. Like exact same uh, inflection point. Mm-hmm. As everyone leaves, Kirk uh, is like, Spock, have you lost your mind? And Spock says, Jim, please don't stop me. Please don't let him stop me. Trust me. For your career and Captain Pike's life, we must see the rest of the transmission. Kirk orders security to lock Spock up, and we zoom out on Kirk just like, contemplating in that conference room just looking all like so bummed out to be concluded next to week be concluded. be concluded holy shit this episode won the 1967 hugo award for best dramatic presentation wow um which i think it definitely deserves and I agree. This fun fact, there have been many reasons given for Jeffrey Hunter not continuing as captain. Uh, the one that rings most true is from Shatner's book. And this is the one that that little message sort of gives credence to. Because originally I read this on IMDb and was like, this is lies. Because it's wild. He relates that Hunter's wife had a constant irritant to the production staff with never-ending demands for how Hunter was to be handled and treated. Oh. Other books say that his wife came to a screening pitch for the pilot and declared that he wasn't interested because he was a movie star. Uh, it seems likely the second story is a cover for the first, and the first is closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Ronberry decided that he wanted to be rid of Hunter, his wife, their demands, and never actually offered them a contract to continue as the main captain. Which then so... makes sense why Kirk comes mm-hmm. in on the production for the second. I, I, I was very curious why they didn't bring him on. I didn't know if it was like a scheduling conflict or he wasn't interested. But again, in terms of twists for this episode, I never would have predicted the wife is like such a... Right? a nag and i don't that word is coded but in this instance it sounds like it kind of is true (laughs) right and that's the question because everything else that i had found about um jeffrey hunter was that he wanted to do movies like he was actively like shooting other stuff that just never took off um but yeah you don't know so that there it is there it is the menagerie part one missy Tell me, what did you think of this episode? This is the most engaged and enthralled for an episode of Star Trek that has happened yet. And I have I have reached some what I thought were high highs already. 
this shoots straight to number one. I could not believe how how many twists that I didn't see coming. And I think the reason this works so well is because we have had so many episodes already to establish everyone's character that Mm -hmm. it plays into your beliefs about them. Like it is... It is cruel for them to have Spock be the person that's doing this because it's mm-hmm. not the kind of move he does. But of course, that's exactly why it's interesting is that this is not the kind of thing that Spock would do. And mm-hmm. so why is he doing you? That question, the why, the question that is presented within why? the courtroom is what I was asking this entire episode. And at a certain point, you know, early on when I was trying to establish, when they were getting all the exhibition out at the beginning and they were ex- and they were setting up where, you know, when is the conflict going to be? And it was pretty, you know, clear early on, uh, it seemed as, at least we could say when Spock takes over the ship, you know, that's the deciding incident. Oh, yeah. I, at some point, just had to stop trying to guess because I was on a ride where I'm like, I can't, you've already, like, made me question five, six, seven times what's happening, what's going on, what's happening here. And I was so impressed with the writing the dialogue i thought there was no scene that was a spare like fluff scene and nothing felt like transitionary everything felt like it had a point it like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go back to it a few good men every single scene builds the mystery and it gives you some information while giving you even more Mm -hmm. questions that you go on and i know we're gonna get to the point where everything's revealed and this is sort of like this is the testimony of everything and, you know, everything's clear in here, but I truly was, was impressed how they managed to incorporate the original pilot in there and this film of a courtroom drama to get it in there was just beautiful. Cause it's like, yeah, at that point, I'm sure having like video evidence was something that was being submitted in court and it's a new area to go. And so this would be something that could happen in the future. And it's why they wouldn't question where it was coming from up until the point that they realize it's not it's it's transmissions from the planet spock isn't even the one that's doing it he's just like signaled them in and it's just showing them what the planet is sending mm-hmm. them it's like thing and that twist at the end of it was was something that i couldn't believe so yeah it, it truly is setting up life and death circumstances that again you know is going to go well but i i am desperate to know what is happening both within the cage and the cage of the cage the menagerie and i can i say uh i don't know yet the themes of the cage but calling this a menagerie which is essentially several cages a group of cages together i don't know if they did it on purpose but oh my god that is a beautiful illusion in here like we have a cage within a cage you're smiling, so we'll see if that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this story is trapped by, it's already trapped by the film of what's in here. I can't, oh. oh yeah, this it's is like a this story is, within a story, a cage within a cage. Okay. Okay. But Missy, I gotta ask, what do you think is going to happen next? What the, um, and I assume it's uh, Talosians, are doing is because they keep referring to him as a specimen and like peak physical stuff, they'll bring him in for testing. I don't know if this is 
where we get to where I thought it might be like a zoo or like several, a lot of different like people will be within this place. But the way that he looks, um, and I don't know, the part that I don't know is what's cover or not, is did he get the scars and these things from what the Talosians did to him? And that's the reason why it has been a place where they have said no one can go is because what happened to Pike on here, like the way the condition he is now was caused by it. That I'm trying to make that connection. caused by the Colosians, not by the, him, Yeah, the saving of the two kids from uh, a chemical thing or whatever it was, yeah. Um, yeah. That's the part that I'm curious about. And of course, that could be, I, you know, it would be interesting if it wasn't uh, that happened, because then they could have an episode that was the cage within Strange New Worlds and then continue to go on and do other things after that. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what else could be happening and I don't know how Spock plans to spin and unravel this, but I think it is truly because something about the planet is going to help Pike stay alive or maybe it's because the ta- the, they have the technology that they know that will heal like something about the experience but it's the fact that Spock was there so whatever happened we know we have one person who is technically an unreliable narrator because we know that he is going against the motive of our protagonists but at the same point we also know is someone who has like an didactic memory and is able to mm-hmm. like does truly know all the stories and is being supported by Pike if Pike isn't lying, which again, we have no reason yeah. to assume that. So it, it is just fascinating where it's like, okay, we're at the point where we have established credibility within the case. We have established um, this, the sides. We have some of the motive, but we don't have all of the motive yet. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to know until next episode. I'm so excited, Missy. Do you think you are going to wait and watch this again, like next week, closer to the episode, or that you're going to watch it sooner because you cannot stand it? I am going to be disciplined. I'm going to wait and watch it because I want to suffer the torture that the original viewing audiences had when they had to wait a week for the next thing to air. I want to appreciate the, I want to pretend that that our era of being able to binge all this doesn't exist, that I don't just have a digital copy available for me to watch. I want to, I want to suffer. I want to suffer like Kirk and Mendes are about what's the motivation behind this. Why? 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 I want on Mr. Spock's wild ride. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Missy, for me, Missy, today. Thank you so much for watching this episode. I love this episode, and I'm so excited for you to see it and for us to watch the next one. I I also love... Oh, yes. What's funny is I thought you were saying watch this episode as in the episode we're recording right now, not watching <laughs> the menagerie of itself. And I was like, no, they're listening to this. They're not watching this. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, thank you for the The more that we get into this, the happier I am that this project has taken off because it truly yes. is, you know, a nice motivation. I, I, it's one of the, I, I do watch media that it's not for a podcast. I want to make sure listeners know, despite the fact that I am <laughs> now at this point uh within real life and uh, you've already can see these i'm recording the 
Simpsons Simpin seasonal scorecard episodes because people in the Planet Discord asked me if I could give my ranking of Simpsons characters when I was explicitly watching The Simpsons so I didn't have to do something for a podcast. But because people ask me to do a bit, I can't say no to the bit. So now I'm doing it. And they're short. it's a short episode. I just finished season two. So I have an episode due for me to record. So we'll get the next one out here again. You'll have that already by the time this episode comes out. So yes. I'm going gonna, gonna to let you know. I loved it. And I was shocked how many like iconic episodes I'd heard about were all stuffed into that season. So I well, we'll have to talk a little bit about what goes on in there. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But again, I watch other things not just for podcasts. You just happen to be, you know, subscribed to a network that has three shows yeah. on it about me watching stuff. That's all. You know. That's all. That's all. That's it. That's that's all. That's all. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Missy. And don't forget in this next week, uh, Live long and prosper. Live long and to be concluded. To be concluded. <laughs>